So we're all going back, back into the council meeting. He walks up to the door, he holds the door. And as all the council members and the city attorney get through the door, he shuts the door and it's just me and him in this room. And he spins around and he looks at me and he goes, I thought you were a man. And I was like, oh my God. The, the dude was one to go fist. He was, he was one to go fist the cuffs with me back there. And, and trust me, man, I wanted to punch this guy so bad. I did because he did some horrible crap to me. I'm Joe Turner, and this is the City Manager Unfiltered Podcast, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. And I'm pretty excited about uh, this week's episode. On the horn with me is Tim Rundle, the city manager for the city of Weed up in Northern California. And uh, welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, when I, I tell my friends and family I, I, I'm the city manager in Weed, they go, what's what, no come on there's really a town called weed and i was like yeah <laughs> and uh, they die so well yeah. and and being up in northern california and given the uh, recent changes in the uh, marijuana policies in california just even taking on oh. a different sort of significance right with that oh, word so major major significance so. <laughs> <laughs> well you know hey i wanted to have you on the show uh you reached out to me oh man this is back in probably february or so early on uh when i was sort of kicking around the idea of doing a podcast and you said, hey, man, I, I got some crazy experiences down here in Durant, Oklahoma, where I used to be a city manager. I'd love to come on and, and share some stories sometime. A little curveball. We're actually not going to talk about that today because there's been some other things that have popped up. But why don't you give us a little rundown of your you know, professional background and, and so forth sure. and so on before we get into why we're really going to have you on the show today? Sure. I kind of got into city management late in the game. In the mid-90s, first of all, I got a, a, a degree in the arts back in the 80s at Northwestern Oklahoma State University and went into the, pub, the private sector, was making great money. I was working in the wireless industry back in the mid 90s when, you know, every phone was like 1500 bucks and, you know, you got like 60 minutes for 100 bucks of, of airtime. It was crazy. So I, I did that, made great money, but I was just not happy with what was going on. And I talked to my uncle, his name is Alan Bogart. He is, was, he just retired as the city manager of Sugarland, Texas. And I said, Uncle Alan, I'm, you know, I'm hitting this wall. What do you think? I'm thinking about because I had done some. I was in the Air Force too, so I, you know, it wasn't going to be my first governmental type experience. And he said, Go back and get your MPA. So I did. I went back to, to the University of Oklahoma, got my MPA, finished up in the late '90s. Became good friends with the the city manager of Yukon, Oklahoma, because that's where I was living at the time. I essentially did my thesis on the privatization of the wastewater facility plant there in Yukon. He wanted to hire me like on the spot, but he, he said, I don't have any positions, but I can give you like seven fifty an hour. And I said, <laughs> I said, Jim, I said, I've got a wife and kids and a mortgage and a car payment. I said, I can't, you know, I'd love to come. I was just chomping at the bit. And so fast forward in 2001, the assistant city manager position came open. I applied, got it. And that was in August 11th of 2001. And, I, and so I'm getting ready to start my 23rd year of city management. So that's kind of how I got into the game. Fast forward, I left the city of Midwest City as the assistant city manager there. I was with Yukon for about six years, Midwest City for about seven years, and then took a job in Auburn, California. It was there a couple of years. And then we decided to go back to Oklahoma because my wife's father was having some health issues and 
So after uh, you know talking it over, I accepted a position in Durant, which is right on Oklahoma Texas border, right on the, by the Red River there. A beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful country up there. It was so I took the job in Durant, not really knowing what I was getting myself into. <laughs> And uh, in fact, my counsel was pretty quiet about, you know, there was a bit of an upheaval going on behind the scenes with some pretty rowdy citizen groups and took the job. And then my mayor got beat with a couple months after I got there. By now, this. hold on. Now, now you say this is Oklahoma. So when you say beat, do you mean physically beaten or beaten at the election? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's probably had a few of those too, but... Uh, so yeah, no, he 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 got he got beat at the uh, the election box, the ballot box there, and this lady, uh, I won't talk too much about her, but uh, she got elected as the uh, on the council, and her first meeting with me, she pretty much said, "I know you don't like me," and then she pretty much called me Stewart's boy for the next three years because Stewart was the mayor, and I'd say, "Hey, listen, I got hired by five. It's a five-zero vote, Stewart." Right. And so she's, she just called me Stuart's boy. And, and she basically told me at that time that she didn't particularly care for me, although I'd only been there for a couple of months and that she wanted to make her own selection for a uh, city manager. And I was like, well, that's not how it works. So uh, <sighs> I stayed there for almost three years. It turned into a heck of an ordeal. This first death threat I ever got was there. And nice. uh, oh yeah, those were really nice. And, you know, and then getting emails where people say, I, you know, I know where you live. And uh, those, are my, <laughs> <laughs> those are my favorite emails. And so oh. anyway, but yeah, it was a little, it was a little different. And so I stuck it out for three years. This person that I won't even name her, she ended up getting censured after six months in office. She also had 10 hostile work environment complaints filed against her. Wow. Uh, just out of control. And so she worked I guess you could say behind the scenes that was she got elected in 2017 early 2017 early 2019 she was able to flip the council it was a 4-1 she voted pretty much no on everything and then she flipped the council and that was pretty much the writing on the wall with me so that uh, sounds like some good material for a possible uh television show about <laughs> hey, city managers hey <laughs> exactly i need to write that down so. <laughs> now so so that's how i ended up leaving durant my wife and i talked about it my wife uh, my beautiful wife is a commercial real estate broker very successful, been doing it over 25 years, has been involved in some huge shopping centers. That's her big thing is developing shopping centers and leasing to retail space. So anyway, she's a trooper. And uh, I said, what do you think about going back? She's like, let's do it. And so I went, all right. So I started applying for jobs out here and Weed, California. And she did the same thing. I said, hey, there's this town called Weed uh, that just sent me this. That night, and she, I was like, I'm serious. It's called Weed. And so anyway, we started talking. Long story short, did a Zoom interview. And then a couple of months later, did a face-to-face. Got offered the gig, I think, in late February of 2020. And my first day on the job, my very first day on the job was the day the governor shut the state down for COVID. And, oh, man. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. It, 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 oh, it was. Uh, and I'm like, oh, my God. And it, Weed's a small town, less than 3,000 people. And that's one of the reasons why my wife and I, we both grew up in really small town. I grew up in the town of uh, Mountainburg, Arkansas, which is about 800 people in Northwest Arkansas. My wife grew up in a town of about 1300 people. So, so, like, so you're, so you're not really an, you're not an Oki, uh, Oklahoma native then, are you? No, I consider myself one because we moved, my dad moved a lot. My dad just okay. passed away about a year and a half ago and he was a roofer. 
So <laughs> we used to joke, ah, wherever the last big tornado was. Was chasing went. the tornadoes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, chasing yeah. the tornadoes. And, yep. and then that was where all the roofing was going on. And so we moved back and forth between Arkansas and Oklahoma several times. And then my senior year, we ended up in Woodward, Oklahoma back in 83. And that's where I finally uh, established you know, my roots, went to you know, small college up at Northwestern Oklahoma State University, first person in my dad's family to ever even attend a college. Anyway, got married right out of college with, with an acting degree. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember my, my, that's, not, that's not the typical path. That's not the typical no, path of city management. That's for sure. It, it's not. And I remember my, uh, my ex-father-in-law, my, my, my college sweetheart and I, we were married for 17 years. Good gal, still love her to death. But I remember going home he'd go, what kind of degree are you getting? I said, it's an acting degree. And he goes, are you going to teach acting? No. He goes, are you going to work at a school? And uh, no. And I, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And that's just the kind of guy you want to marry your daughter, right? Yeah, so, right, anyway. right. Real winner so, there, huh? Yeah. So I, I had a lot of, uh, I was on the speech and debate team and everything else. And, and so I, I had a knack for good communication. So I got into sales and marketing. I said, got into that, uh, did a stint in the Air Force. Long story short, like I just said earlier, that's how I ended up eventually getting into city management back in 2001. So you're an art guy. You got this art degree, right? You you seem to be pretty, and we talked a little bit in the the green room about how you have some passion for painting and the arts and so forth and so on. So a little bit of a different profile maybe than what your typical city manager background would be. We're going to talk more about these. Well, I should probably tease it earlier in in the episode, but you are a documentary filmmaker. And yep. you are a city manager and I put them in that order because I think that's where your passion is. If that's fair to say, you really enjoy doing filmmaking and so forth and so on. And you have a documentary that's coming out that we're going to talk about, but we also have this television show about a city manager. Did your art degree play a role in, in this television program coming to your city? Oh, I think so. I think it played a lot, okay. a, a lot into it. I, I like you said, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, and I like doing it via documentaries. And then I, you know, I'll get up in front. Of, I've been up in front of three people to make a presentation. I've been up before three thousand people and made a presentation. So I, I have no fear of just getting up. times you know, winging it, and sometimes doing it the, the the right way. But yeah, so I during COVID, I started talking. We had a we have a little company that out of Reading that comes and does our council meetings. The first time I saw a city of weed council meeting, I was like, this is like a professionally produced, I said, nothing like I've ever seen. Cause you no, know, most towns this size, they have, you know, one camera, you know, crappy yeah. audio. If that, if that, if that, <laughs> if you, if you go to the city of weeds, YouTube page and watch our count, it's, I mean, during these cutaways and incredible titles and transitions, I was just like, wow. So I started kind of building a, a friendship with the guy, uh, it's 22nd Avenue is the name of his company out of Reading. And we started talking and then we started joking around about possibly, you know, it'd be funny to do some sort of reality based TV show about, you know, weed California. And then it kind of evolved into, well, what if it was kind of like a, you know, not a really a scripted, but a show kind of like a, a parks and rec or the office kind of a mockumentary type thing. <laughs> right. And, right. Uh, I was like, yeah, that could work too. Definitely. I could work. And so he partnered with another guy named Brandon Ballard. And Brandon is kind of, he's the creative force behind it. And so for two years, I mean, we've emailed, Zoom called, all this stuff. And I've given them a boatload of material from my career. So that's kind of kind of what happened. And so kind of following the follies of a city manager in a small town in Northern California. So that's, that's what it's based on. They got the funding for the pilot and it's probably going to be shot within the, they're casting for it right now. And it'll probably be shot in the next month or two. 
I, I, I went onto your Facebook page for the city of weed and I saw the posting about it and I'm just going to do a quick read for the, uh, for the audience at home. So it says, uh, calling all actors. We're thrilled to announce a casting call for the upcoming TV comedy series, city of weed. Whether you're a seasoned actor or a fresh face, we're looking for leads, supporting roles and extras who can bring to life our quirky small town story set in the iconic town of weed, California. And it says the synopsis is a city of weed follows the hilarious trials and tribulations of a city manager who must navigate the challenges of running a small mountain town with the help and often hindrance <laughs> of, an, of, an, of an eccentric council and colorful towns folk. <laughs> that's it right there, man. That's it. So, and, yeah, uh, and, 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 you know, if we're talking about colorful townsfolk, I can tell you being born and raised in California, although I'm a Southern California boy, that there are some characters up in Northern California, right? Oh my God. Yes, there are. There are. <laughs> There's a lot of characters up here. And uh, yeah, so no, it, it's cool. So, you know, one time, I don't know if you ever uh, watched True Detective when it was out. I yeah, did. So the second season with, uh, I think it's Colin Farrell and uh, Vince Vaughn. Right. If you watch the very first episode, my wife and I uh, started watching it and they talked about a city manager. And I was like, oh my God. That, and I paused it. And I said, <laughs> There's a city manager in an actual TV show. Just reference, about- just reference by, te- just reference by, by verbally. That's it. Right. Exactly. Well, then <laughs> five minutes into the show, they find the, the dead city manager's body. <laughs> Who would have been like tortured and killed and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, we made it five minutes on HBO and that was it. My a city manager character got killed in five the first five minutes. So I was like, well, we, at least we got our name or, or you know, our, or the word city manager in, in an actual show. So, but no, this is so what happened was we started talking about all the, the, the different things, the nuances of managing a small town. And like I say, via all these Zoom calls and everything else, I just started unloading 20 plus years of uh, storytelling, like I said before, of, of all these different experiences I've had throughout my career. And what was funny was like when I would do this, some of these stories, these guys would look at me like, no way. And I'm like, this yeah, can't be way. real, right? This, this can't is real, be real. Yeah, it is. I, I think people forget that government employees, government officials, or just people, just like everybody else. You know, we got wives, kids, mortgages, and, and everything else. And we, and we, and, you know, and we have our trials and tribulations through our careers, just like anybody else, except, you know, in our job, uh, you know, all it takes is count to three and you're gone. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit of a, it's a stretch. I mean, people that are getting into this business, it's not for the faint of heart. And I'll, I'll tell you that, especially in this day and age too. So anyway, but we essentially over a two year period came up with it last summer. They shot what they call a proof of concept, which is essentially kind of trademarking the whole concept of it. And so they, they had to, I believe, file that, you know, somewhere. And so that, that took place. And then, you know, COVID really did a number on trying to get this thing produced, but they were able to raise the money to actually shoot the first episode. And the great thing is our council decided to go into some sort of a, an agreement with this company and essentially saying, if this thing takes off, which I, I love this idea, I don't think it's ever happened. The only place I could find it was maybe uh, New York City, because you see all the NYPD and NY right. fire, they get royalties off of those hats. And so what we did is we came into an agreement because this company has connections with merchandising. And so what's going to happen is if this thing, the pilot's going to get shot 
And once it gets shot, edited, chopped up, then they, these guys both have connections with Netflix, Hulu, and a couple other uh, streaming networks. And if it gets picked up, it's going to be, I think, a big, big shot in the arm for our community because of all the merchandising that could happen. We got a logo that we trade trademarked already. And so these guys are ready. I mean, so hopefully if this thing takes off and gets out, then we'll start seeing, you know, City of Weed mugs, T-shirts, hats, the whole thing. And the city will make a royalties off of all of that as well. So we'll be getting a monthly check, which would be awesome for economic development or whatever we want to, you know, designate it for. Absolutely. I mean, if this thing takes off like a Parks and Rec style, I could easily see it becoming, have that cult following and and, and merchandise and, and obviously the double entendre with the weed and the weed culture. Oh. I'm sure there's so much there as well, you know, I, that kind of pops in my head. Did you guys have any concerns a little bit about the whole, is this a cannabis related thing or is this going to put the city in a bad light? I, I don't know really the history of weed and where you guys stand on cannabis. I know, I know cannabis and marijuana is kind of a big deal up in that Northern California area. They call it, the, I think the Emerald Triangle over in the, on the coastal side Humboldt um, County yeah in Humboldt County yeah well you got was there any concerns or reservations about one either marijuana sort of the, the relationship with marijuana and being associated with it or two sure. Hollywood coming into rural town America and making fun of rural town America I guess kind of was there, was yeah. there discussions on that yeah there, there was there's was, uh, multiple discussions you know the city of weed uh, just for everybody's you know, reference was named after Abner Weed over a hundred years ago. He was a guy who was a uh, big into the lumber industry, big tycoon. And he actually, this is crazy, but little old Weed, California was picked for one of his mills because of the winds that come off the mountain. We live at the base of Mount Shasta. Uh-huh. We get some, you know, when I first got here, my mayor said, hey, by the way, I'm gonna let you know, it gets real windy here. And I'm like, hey man, I'm from Oklahoma. You don't have to tell me about wind. <laughs> Yeah, Holy right. cow. No, it's a different type of wind. I, I mean, we get wind storms sometimes that will sustain for hours, like 50, 60 mile an hour winds for hours. So we learned real quickly to buy, you know, heavy patio furniture or, or else it'll be out in a cow pasture. And, and the reason he, he wanted weed is because it dried the timber out faster. Because so, of the wind, right? The, the wind would blow and, right. and dry out the wood after they, you know, the, the big, our mill, and that mill still exists today, by the way. It is a meal that they do, they uh, veneers. They take the logs and basically peel them down to get the veneers off of them and, and ship them all over the country, all over the world. It's now called Roseburg, but actually we were the, I believe for a while there, the West Coast headquarters for international paper in Weed, California. So we were, it really was a big boom to our, our city. They sold it off in the early 80s, downsized considerably when Roseburg purchased it. I would say it's about a 50-50 split in our community where people like, hey, you got the name. I mean, if it was the city of Budweiser, you wouldn't just go, hey, don't be making any beer references about us, you know? Right, And so we're the city of weed. And and yeah, we've got three novelty shops that all they do is sell weed, you know, I heart weed and a little bitty below it says Weed California. And then, you know, all kinds of takeoffs on and references. But the, the council has come to the realization is, yeah, we can still preserve the history of Weed California, but we also know we're going to, you know, we can't stick our head in the sand and say, but please don't reference any sort of cannabis. And we have two dispensaries in downtown Weed. Uh, okay. You know, and we've got to, uh, it, like I said, it's just one of those things to where we've got to realize it's time we can capitalize on this name. And that's what I think the, the council was looking at from a standpoint. If we have a, 
a hit sitcom called the, I mean, I think people will just tune into it because of the name, the city of weed. People are like, what, right. what is what the hell's that? Yeah. Yeah, what exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then they'll, you know, if they're flipping through their Hulu or their Netflix, I want to see what this is all about, you know? So, and the producers and the directors, I've been very cognizant of that there, you know, about the references. I mean, there's going to be references. Of course. You can't have yeah, it. You're naive. You're not. Yeah. You're naive. Yeah. If you think that's yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I think what they're trying to do also is just, just kind of show, you know, these are real people in a, in, in a rural town and in, in, in far Northern, I mean, for people listening to this, I, you know, when people say you're in, in Northern, I said, yeah, I, I used to live in, uh, or I actually managed Auburn, California. And, Every once in a while, I'd run into somebody, and and I would say, "Yeah, I'm in Auburn, and I, I'm in Northern California." Like, you're not in Northern California. And I'm yeah, because like, well, that's down by Sacramento, Florida. right? Yeah, it's down by. Yeah, and, they, and, and the people up here they take offense that the people in the Bay Area call that Northern California because you know what they look at is pretty much Shasta County on up from there is is Northern California because that's that's where a lot of uh, it, it just changes the the geographics change quite a bit, the demographics change quite a bit, so. Oh uh, yeah, the, the a lot a lot of people don't understand the political dynamics change. There's a lot of people who don't who are not from California don't really understand because I've experienced this being a city manager out here in Kansas, and a lot of people just don't really understand how first of all how big California is, right? The actual size, oh, yeah. how many oh, people yeah. are there? I mean, obviously you're in Northern California, where it's uh, much more sparsely populated than where I'm from in Southern California, but people just don't understand. Like, man, you have the access to everything. There's whatever you're whatever you're into. There's some there's some group subculture events uh conferences conventions it, everything's in california there's something yeah. for everybody there and so people kind of get uh don't understand uh how the dynamics can change from you know a couple hours drive north <laughs> well, <laughs> and you got and you got some honorary and you got some honorary folks up there in northern california for those who are not from california who don't know uh yeah. it gets a little honorary up there <laughs> well exactly and and we have you know pockets of they don't exactly and- like city managers coming in tell them how to how to live their <laughs> life right so <laughs> no exactly I, and that's what i was telling you earlier i think the fact that i came from oklahoma was a big win for me because there's a lot of okies in california and it it, it is it's it, you know i live in a county siskiyou county is i, I want to say like uh, it's the fifth largest county in the state of california we only have 55 counties and but we have i think it's eight thousand square miles but we have a little over forty thousand people yeah. so i mean it is sparse and then we got modoc county you know and you know our neighbors uh to the east and and same thing they've got like you know i i don't know it's crazy alturas out there it's like ten thousand people in the whole county it's huge county huge but you're right there's red and blue pockets all over the state and that's what people don't understand you know la's got actually it's huge blue and mm-hmm. then it's got a few red pockets down in orange county and some of those places and then when you go up to the central valley it turns starts turning red again Yep. And then when you get up to, you know, SAC and, and in the Bay, it goes back to, goes back to blue. And then once you get past there, it all goes back to red again. Yeah, I told one yeah. of my friends once, I said, I believe Trump got more votes in California than he did in Texas. So, I mean, think about that. That wouldn't surprise Num- me. Yeah. Actual number of votes he got more. In, and then when I tell people, they think, you know, yeah, he didn't, he did not win California, but we have 40 million people here. Yeah. It's a big, yeah. big state. It's huge. And everybody... I, my friends, when I took this job here in Weed, they were like, "How long does it take you to commute to work?" <laughs> and I was like, "Commute to work?" Like, yeah. they, said, the, they go with the traffic and the traffic jams. I said, "You guys," I said, "The only thing <laughs> I said, I've, I've, uh, you know, if if there's a bunch of deer in the road or a, I almost hit a bear one morning on the way to work, I said those are the things that hold up traffic around here. It's not cars." 
So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, but no, it's, it's, they just, they just don't get it. And then once they see some of the, my pup photos, we live right at the base of, uh, I live in a community called Lake Shastina and it's just right at the base of Mount Shasta. My living room window looks like a painting. And yeah, uh, it, yeah. it changes all day long. It's so, so beautiful up there. So beautiful it, up there. It, it, it's gorgeous. And I know everybody, Brandy and I've come to the realization, my wife and I is like, wherever people live and love, that's what they consider God's country. So, and you know, when you get up here, everybody talks about God's country and, and I feel like it is a little bit too. And so we, we, we love it up here. The people are great. And like, we talk about it all the time. It's like, it's like living in Oklahoma. It really is. The people here are very down to earth ranchers farmers i i thought i thought oklahoma was god's country uh, according well, to blake shelton huh? <laughs> exactly well <laughs> he, he, hey funny story blake shelton is his uh, uh where he flies in and out of oklahoma is durant is it so oh yeah i've met blake i, I met him he was uh, looking at buying a new oh i forgot what model jet he was getting ready to buy but he, anyway we got to know his pilot pretty well for a few years there because he wanted to take over and do all the commercialization of, of the airport, you know, selling fuel. And, the, and right. I, there's a term for those guys. I, I don't have, it's like an airport operator type thing. And one day he called me and I'd actually flown on Blake's helicopter two or three times because the guy was trying to get us to do certain things that other airports were doing. He goes, well, hop on. So we hopped on Blake's helicopter and t- two times flew to other airports where this guy was like, you guys need to be doing this and this and that. Like, oh, because you just don't see it, you know, when you're there every day. But and then one day he called and said, hey, uh, Blake's coming out to look at a, I don't know, which which one, a G7 or something. And I said, oh, OK. And he said, you want to meet? I said, hell, yeah, I'll meet him. So me and, and uh, one of my council members drove out there. We actually got to walk on the plane. Oh, my God, it was nice. A 14 passenger, just luxury jet. And what he was doing was he was flying back and forth to L.A. As soon as we get done with the voice, he would immediately come back to Durant because he lives in right. Tishomingo. lives in Tishomingo. It's a small town, not too far from Durant. And so that's what he used for, for a while there. He was literally landing, hopping in an old pickup and driving to Tishomingo. But then I think there was some paparazzi issues probably, you know, we started dating Gwen yeah. Stefani and all that. So yeah. he, then, so he went and bought a helicopter. So he would land on his jet in Durant, <laughs> hop on a helicopter and go straight to his house. So that's a different like, life, huh? Oh my God. It's a huge, yeah, a much different life than you and I will ever probably know unless I hit the Powerball next week. So I, I heard, yeah. I've heard nothing but really good things about him. Uh, I heard he's a really down to earth guy. In fact, there's a, I used to work in South Hutchinson and we have a little, uh, our decent sized sporting goods uh, store right there in town. And my understanding is that he would come there pretty frequently and they would shut down the store for him so he can buy some stuff when he's going to go out hunting in the, in the oh, region yeah. or something like that. And I heard he's just a super down to earth guy. Are, are you a, are you a country music fan by chance out of curiosity? Uh, not really. Uh, my wife loves, I mean, she adores Blake. And uh, so, uh, you know, if I, she hasn't asked me for a hall pass yet, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure if she did, he would be in one of the top of the list. So anyway, <laughs> but so, but she listens to it. So I hear a lot of it around the house. I'm a very kind of eccentric music guy. Okay. Um, yeah. I listened to about everything. And yeah, I was actually a, a, right out of high school. I was a radio DJ for a couple of years at a top 40 station part time and did that in a small town at Woodward, Oklahoma. Okay. 102. So that's what I did. Uh, I did the midnight to six shift. So, you know, they had me where everybody wants to work midnight to 6 a.m. Oh, yeah. That's where everyone's listening, right? All, exactly. All the, all... <laughs> yeah. In a, in a rural town in northwest Oklahoma, everybody's just jamming out at midnight to right, top right. 40 music. But this was in the mid-80s. So it was, it was fun, though. That's kind of got my 
you know, cut my, that's actually kind of where I cut my teeth and got into the arts was when I first started that job. I enjoyed it, you know, making commercials and doing other things too. So it was fun. And that's kind of like, say how I got into the whole art side of, uh, of the world. And like I told you before, I had a, an arts degree as an actually kind of an acting degree I got from Northwestern Oklahoma state. So anyway, that that's kind of how I got into, I guess you would say the more creative side of the world. So, yeah, you know, it's funny. You talk about hall passes, Christy, my beautiful wife, she's a five foot three Korean girl and she loves Tim McGraw. She loves Timmy. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't listen to country music really until we, until her and I started dating. I was a fan of older country, you know, like outlaw country with, you know, um, Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings and, David Allen Coe, but I was really wasn't into modern stuff and she loved Timmy. And so we went up going to a Tim McGraw concert. And ever since then, I've been listening to more of a modern, modern country too. And then out yeah. here in Kansas where the country music stations, every other station on the dial you can't help but get a, you can't help but listen to country out here. But yeah, so she got, she's got, she's already been given her hall pass. She hasn't been able to claim it yet or take advantage, uh, but, but but we've gone to a couple of concerts and she's got her hands on Tim because he comes into the audience pretty frequently. He's a pretty uh, personable person. Yeah. And so I think she's, uh, I don't know, she quote unquote, she might've technically sexually assaulted the man. I'm not sure. But. <laughs> a little groping incident maybe. Yeah. No, uh, no, no, it's. It, it's like I said, I grew up in you know, say Northwest Oklahoma and the same thing. Every radio station is playing, playing country. And, 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 and I say, I listen to quite a bit of different country music, but you're right. Some of the modern stuff. In fact, the first city that I was the assistant city manager in 2001, as I was talking about earlier, Yukon is actually the home of Garth Brooks. So, well, you know, it's interesting you say that too, cause you're right. And then also because I, I don't really know a lot of Oklahoma cities have these uh, difficult names that, as far as spelling and pronunciation. I'm not, you know, familiar oh, with yeah. them and whatnot. There's a new artist that I've been crushing on, uh, named Zach Bryan, who's from Oklahoma. I don't know if you're sure if you're familiar with his name, but I, I think I he actually has that. a. Okay, I think I he don't has know a personally, but... right, right, but I think he has a song title called Tishamunga or something like that, which might be. I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah. I could be mistaken on that. Yeah. In fact, you, this is crazy. You're saying this because this coming uh, Saturday. My wife and I will be in Bend, Oregon at a music fest. The night we're going to be there, Zach Bryan is headlining. Oh so, man, it, I want to, I want to see him. So I've been crushing on him so bad. Cause he's just, right. he's, he's like a neo-traditional kind of culture. Like he's, he's out there a little bit more of a, I don't know how you would say it a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know how to describe his music, but I'm really into him and I've been really just crushing on him lately. So oh, I hope you have, he, a, I hope you have a good time with that. Oh, I, I think we will. it's going to be Zach Bryan and Cheryl Crow. It'll be okay. the, the two two biggest ones. So I was like, this is going to be a great, great concert. It's outdoor venue, really pretty. So we're excited about that. But I think he's from Ulaga is where he's from. Either okay. Ulaga or Okmulgee, one of those towns. But yeah, there's, and, uh, you know, of course, uh, Carrie Underwood. I mean, you, you you go down the long list, Reba McIntyre, yep. yep. uh, Vince, Vince Gill. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people, you know, a lot of Okies that are big country music uh, stars. And so you can't help, but, you know, you're going to be, if you're coming to Oklahoma, you're going to at least listen to some country music because it's everywhere. So. Absolutely. And one of, the, one of the biggest is actually uh, buried up near you, Merrill Haggard up in, I think it's called Palisadro or something like that. Have you ever been over yep. there? I don't know if you've ever seen his gravesite or anything. I don't know where, where it's at, but. No, I haven't been. I've been to Palisadro. I had some friends that live over there. We went over there one night for dinner. And But I, I should have, while we were there, uh, went to go see it because I, a friend of mine just now told me, I don't know, like a week ago about Merle being buried. I was like, I had no idea. But he kind of called 
I guess uh, Shasta County is home toward the latter years of his uh, life. He had a place out on the lake there in Shasta. So anyway, but yeah, he, I grew up, my dad was a huge Merle Haggard fan, huge Waylon Jennings. So I grew up with all that, you know, in, in my household. So yeah, it's, you know, country music is also prevalent in Siskiyou County as well. Yeah, absolutely. Of, so big, big time up there in Northern California. Uh, but hey, oh yeah. Uh, I, we, we took a little detour there. I want to get back sure. to this this TV show because I think a lot of people sure. want to get a kick out of it, right? So sure. have there been any big name actors or anything like that tied to this or anybody that we can announce? Like what, what what's out there right now that the pub that's to the available to the public? Or is it just simply from the beginning doing this pilot, we have no idea who these people are? So probably the writers and actors are all on strike. They would it would not they cannot hire any SAG folks right now. Okay. Uh, because the, so these are going to be all non-sag. But here's the thing: a lot of people don't realize a pilot is simply what you're, you know, taking to go sell. It's probably never even going to make air. Most right. most sitcoms and TV shows you have never seen the actual quote-unquote first episode because it was just a pilot. So they're going to be hiring actors from all over Northern California. I'm sure they're going to get some probably pulled out of the you know the, the Bay Area and some other places too. I think if it gets, and that's why I was trying, I was talking to my brothers about this. I'm the oldest of five. And, and so they were all like geeked up about this thing too. And I, and I said, well, there's not going to be any SAG actors. They're all on strike. And when they do this thing, it's going to be a, a basically, you know, like I said, what they're going to be used, utilizing to pitch it to the different streaming networks. Then if it gets picked up, I can see uh, some, some, I don't want to say big name, but some folks that will probably, people will recognize fairly quickly. And that'll be a cool thing because, oh, and by the way, they are a hundred percent. They actually got offered. This is talks about volumes about these guys and why we really like them. They actually had an offer once to shoot the whole thing down in LA in a soundstage because, you know, you can keep it pretty budget wise. You can, right, it, minimize it might minimize cost, right? Might, yeah. yeah. Minimize cost. If you have everything under one roof. And for people who don't realize, I mean, most of your sitcoms, they're in a gigantic warehouse where two or three other sitcoms are being shot. So, so, but they said, no, we want to be part of the community. We want the, the community to, you know, for, for all the B-roll footage, this, the council has agreed to, they're going to be shooting council meetings on the weekends at city hall, at our actual city hall. And so, <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool. That I was, cool. I, That's I awesome. Was it's more than cool. It's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, and some of my staff is like, what if people come by? Cause we keep the council chambers locked up because there's a lot of, you know, expensive equipment in there, yeah. video and stuff. And so like, what do we do? And I said, well, we'll have to figure it out as we it's go. It's going to happen. There. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah. There will be people, my, my, my brother, his, his wife, Amy, they have I think gone twice to Georgia because they're big walking dead fans. And they wanted to go see where all the zombie foot, you know, everything, where all the kills are. And it's all shot. There. So there's actually tourism involved in folks, navigating and going to where things are being shot. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You better, you better get your uh, public works director on the horn and, and make sure you, he buys some extra city uh, you know, limit signs because those things are going to get taken. I, you know that. Uh, well, we, we, they sell them at the novelty shop, everybody. You don't have oh, yeah. to have don't, one. You don't have to, you don't have, to have a real one. I, please don't. So that's, uh, when we were in, when, when Garth Brooks, when they named Garth Brooks Boulevard, we had people stealing that side. All I believe time. it. I believe oh, yeah. it. So, so anyway, no, it's it. But what that does is for a local economy and getting into the city manager side of the business, that's going to be a huge thing. We are right off Interstate 5. I don't know how many people when I say in this area in particular, when I say we, they, oh, yeah, we stopped there and get gas and da, 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 da. And so they know exactly where weed's at because right. it's, it's, it's a pit stop 
Well, now we're doing some things. I was able to negotiate and get a, a piece of property on Weed Boulevard. We're putting in a Tesla station there. So we're going to try, because we don't really have any charging stations in Weed right now. So we're going to, that'll be done hopefully by Labor Day. And so we'll have 16 supercharger stations. That's going to pull people off the interstate as well. Absolutely, I, yeah. My wife says, do you always, everything have to be <laughs> tied into the city making money? I said, well, sometimes, you know, because we're people don't understand a, a, a town like Weed, you know, less than 3,000 people. When you add our general fund, and our enterprise fund budget, it's like 7 million bucks. It's not like a, it's not like we're just rolling in the dough here. Right, so, right. Well, any, I'm in the same, any, I'm in the same situation as you. I'm a, I was in a town of 2,500. Our budget was around $7 million a year, you know? It's, yeah. So, yeah. So you're limited. And so that's one. And then we had a, you know, a horrible fire come through last uh, September and that kind of put, that kind of squashed the uh, show as well, because we were trying to recover from it. It was a horrible, horrible day. We, we had a whole neighborhood burned down and had two fatalities. It was tough. It was a yeah. horrible day. One of the worst days of my city management career. So, but it was something that people don't understand when, when stuff like that happens, guess what? We lost 60 homes. It, that's and, a huge and, impact on you guys. Huge. It's huge. Utilities. Um, yeah, franchise know, fees, all that stuff. Property, yeah, it, property, property taxes, all that stuff. So it, it's a huge hit to us. So anyway, but it, it's something. So I'm always looking at that. So that's why we were looking at the royalty stuff. Which somebody was saying, "Hey, what if the city decides just to do all the merch themselves?" I'm like, "No, man. I said that's not our. That's not in our wheelhouse. We're not right. merch people. So right. Let them order that's, order it online and let them take care of it, and we'll just get a check every month." So yeah, so yeah, that. You know, that Go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. Step on you there, Tim. But you know, no, I think that's something. You know, I kind of have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder sometimes. I think a lot of some, a lot of times, I think small town managers don't really get enough respect for the challenges that they face and what they and all the hats they have to wear. You know, a lot of times you have to be a lot more creative and flexible in small towns because we don't really oh, have all the resources yeah. that bigger cities have, right? You're we're scratching and clawing for everything that we get, and oh, so that's why I love this idea of you guys. You know, getting this possible show off the ground and the royalties and the, uh, the merchandise uh, royalties licensing and all that stuff, and that's just awesome. I would love to see that uh, be a huge home run for you guys. I, I think so too. You're right. We're constantly having to look outside the box because I worked in a, the biggest city I, I worked, I was assistant city manager, Midwest city. We had almost 600 employees, $145 million budget. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, being enough money in the bank to do this or that. I mean, we had a substantial, right. uh, uh, you know, income coming in. And so I never had to really worry about it. And when I got to real quickly, so when I got to weed, here I am, governor just shut the state down. And I knew the city had been embroiled in some sort of water rights issues. And, but I didn't realize what was going to happen next. So I, every city manager you talk to, one of the first people you want to talk to on staff is your finance director. Cause you want to know where we are, where we're setting. Right. And so I, I, I brought her into my office and I said, Hey, Emily, and she slid a piece of paper. Cause I told her what I was looking for. And I was like, well, what is this? And she goes, well, after payroll on Friday, we're going to have $9,000 in the bank. And I said, well, what? how much do we have? Oh, yeah, yeah. It all gets worse. And I said, holy uh, smokes. And then she goes, oh, and by the way, you see that list of checks over there? I said, yeah. She goes, those, it's a half a million dollars of checks that I cannot send to vendors because all of them will bounce. So I was like, oh my God, that was my first day on the job. And here we are. And you're heading into it and you're heading into a COVID shutdown. Oh, and so, and, and our main sales tax in weed, uh, 70% of all of our sales tax comes from fuel. And so nobody was traveling. Right. And, and so it was, uh, here's what I tell people all the time. I, 
I, I, yeah, I have a master's in public administration. There was very little that I could apply toward actually getting knee deep into the job. But here's what I tell people all the time. As a city manager, you don't have to be an expert in finances, you know, planning, engineering, public works, none of that stuff. An expert in emergency management, public safety. You just have to be an effective communicator. That's what you have to do to be able to lead a team, especially when you're going through a situation like what I walked into with $9,000 in the bank, 29 full-time employees and, and trying to figure out and COVID. So that all happened. Boom, boom, boom. So I, I called my wife. She'd already gone back to Oklahoma because she was working on moving our house and stuff out here. And I called her and I said, and I was, oh, by the way, I'm living in a little tiny camper. Because, <laughs> because that's so appropriate that's so no cow oh, <laughs> so yeah i'm living in a camper we, we bought a camper it's a small one it's like a two was it down by camp. the river or no <laughs> that's where my van is <laughs> no so i was just like oh my god so i just like and so she goes i told her about what i just told you about all the money issues and she goes you're not going to hook up your house and come back to cal or oklahoma are you <laughs> No. <laughs> and so the, late that afternoon, after I got the bad news of, by the way, we're broke and now all of our income is getting ready to be slashed because sales tax is just going to crash because of COVID. The mayor comes by my office and I love her to death. She comes in, she goes, I said, what's going on? I, I said, I just had a meeting with the finance director. It's like, Sue, I didn't realize we were in. She goes, yeah, we didn't want to tell you that because we didn't figure you'd come back. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, oh, great. So I, I kind of got catfished into coming up here. And, and that's kind of what this sitcom is a little bit about. And that's why I started sharing these stories. And in fact, the proof of concept, one of the first scenes is the city manager sitting down with the finance director. And oh, man. Out. That's they awesome. Have this, and then he goes, the, the, it was really funny because in the, in the little concept video, he goes, well, we've got seven in the bank. And, and the and city manager's like, Ooh, seven million. I could do a lot with seven million. <laughs> no, seven thousand. And so anyway, but that it's based a lot and, and some of the, a lot of the stories they've utilized for the sitcom come from me from the hours and hours of all the different follies in my career with different uh, you know council members, different vendors, different uh, citizens, a lot of their citizen engagement too, that these guys they were like, that's no they I think people have this perception that what you know everything we do but but essentially what i was getting to this is we're city managers are essentially professional troubleshooters that's what i tell people we come into a situation and if there's going to be problems and issues we have to figure out how to get from a to z and what's the best way and then also convince five other people that right. this might be the best way to go too so but anyway that's what we are we're professional troubleshooters people come in if cities ran smooth without any issues or hiccups you wouldn't need a city manager but you're we're there yeah, you know what's, yeah, I, I got to go back a little bit because uh, before I lose my train of thought on the sorry for cutting you off there, but uh, you talked about, you know, only having 9,000 or whatever in the bank and, and what have you. They didn't want to tell you. And when I got hired my first city ministry gig, small town, Kansas, about 1,700 people, uh, I quickly, literally, uh, really quickly learned that my police chief there had to go. Uh, my mayor, I brought it to him after a, a couple of weeks. I'm like, hey, there's an issue here. And he goes, yeah. I kind of, I didn't really want to tell you at the beginning because I just thought you maybe want to figure it out on your own. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and that's that's one of the things you you learn quickly is a, uh, oh yeah, I I can tell, I mean, go ahead. Well, the other thing too is the same city, oh man, shortly before I got there, 
oh man, they had to hawk the grader. We had a grader they had to hawk at the bank because they couldn't make pay- <laughs> they couldn't make payroll. I'm, yep. I'm gonna, I mean, this is small town management stuff because I don't think a lot of people understand. Like you know, when you get to small town city management. A lot of it's like running a, a mom and pop small business. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's, oof, it oof. is, it, it presents a lot of challenges. I mean, because you got to put on a lot of hats and thank God for like, you know, grants and things like that. Or a lot of cities would never get roads paved or, or, or some of these projects done because you utilize, rely so heavily on grant dollars. That, yes. Uh, you know, a bigger city. They, they wanted to go do something. They just go do it. But with l- small cities, you just don't have the, the capital, the funds sitting around just to do, do stuff like that. You have to have, and then, and then it becomes a challenge when you have matching grants because you have to have, you know, you have to spend it before you can get it back. And that's yeah. a challenge. Yep. We have a challenge too. So yeah, if you don't have the cash flow, it makes it pretty tough, right? Yes. So, oh yeah, man. Hey, so I want to pivot back to the show because I'm dying to ask sure. you the question sure. that's on my mind, right? Sure. For the show. Yeah. Is there any spot for Tim Rundle with an arts, <laughs> with an arts degree to be acting in this show and, and, and uh, showing us his chops? Cause I want to, you know, we have some other city managers out there who have been in some uh, roles and some movies. There's Lou Leone out and he was out in Nebraska at the time, I believe. And he's over in Illinois now, but you got uh, any chance of getting a, a role in this thing or what? Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell at, me at you first, got, tell me you got something with the, tell I, me you got the juice card, the city manager. Don't you know who I am? Tell me you got something in this, this bad boy. I talked to these guys and I think they could figure out pretty early on, you know, I have a passion for, for stuff like this. And then as we started talking, they're like, man, we want you to be part of this. And I was like, I, yeah, guys, I got a full-time job. I got <laughs> It's going to pay the bills. So, and uh, so what we kind of came up with and it hasn't, come to fruition yet but i think it will is a, a recurring role of possibly of the sewer plant operator so <laughs> and, and so i kind of pitch <laughs> because anybody that's ever worked in any city especially small towns and stuff as i know well, what you're gonna is, say i know what you're gonna uh, say but go ahead go ahead usually the sewer plant guy is a bit of a character because, <laughs> oh my god oh my god <laughs> he's he's he, he's usually out in the middle of nowhere because that's where you want your sewer plant. <laughs> and he feels unappreciated because nobody comes and visits him because it smells so bad Because it's, it's a shitty job. <laughs> it is. And uh, so, yeah. And, and so it's one of those deals where they carry a bit of a chip on their shoulder at times. So that's what I kind of pitched to these guys. And they loved it. And, you know, I, I got a, a, a kind of a character that's kind of a culmination of, every city I've ever worked at. And so, and not to be, you know, uh, make anything derogatory and not all sewer plant operators like that. Of course, you know, now in your bigger cities, those guys usually have engineering degrees, right? In right. Small, smaller towns. No, you're not going to get a guy. You know, <laughs> engineers aren't going to want 40,000 a year to run the sewer plant. So, uh, anyway, but no, it's, it, it's, so I've kind of got this uh, character kind of developed. That's a little, a little rough around the edges. And, uh, <laughs> He's a major conspiracy theorist and, uh, oh yeah. He's, and so anyway, and, and I think it's going to get, uh, put into the show. So, you know, I, I told these guys, Hey, you know, if, if I could just do, you know, if this thing does get picked up and I, if I could do, you know, two, three, four times a season, cause I think typically they shoot, I want to say, uh, for streaming most times it's like 12 or 13 episodes. And so if that gets budgeted and everything happens, so I, you know, I told him, I said, I have my, you know, my full-time gig. I don't want any conflict of interest. I even told him I didn't even want to get paid. I just, I just want to be part of the project. So in order uh-huh. to keep no conflict, I said, just don't, just don't pay me. I'm just there because I, I love 
uh, you know, the, the whole art scene. And, and I've, I've done some acting and some other stuff. And so I feel like it would be a, a natural fit and they're excited about it too. So does this uh, character going to be named Tim or what? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the name, the name I picked was a character named Bill Jerkkowski, and, <laughs> and then he and he always tells everybody that they call me Jerk for short because my name's kind of hard to pronounce. But the real reason is because he's he's a huge asshole. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of. That's a fictitious name. Nobody I know is named Bill Jerkowski, and everybody calls him. So the character's name is Jerk. So, uh, so anyway, uh, but you know, I, I can't say that's going to make it in the final cut. But I pitched it, and they loved it. So we'll see what happens. So, oh man, if people don't, if people, oh gosh, I, it's like you just got to when you know, you know, you know. But man, these oh, yeah. these uh, these wastewater operators, they're gems, man, and every oh, one of God. them. Every one of them, it's their plant. They own that plant. It is their oh pride God. and joy. And uh, they, they, man, they are fierce. They're territorial. They're protective. And and in all seriousness, too, um, I will say, because I mean, I love the name Jerkowski, but or whatever. But, <laughs> but um, you know, these state regulations for environmental regulations are so intense, you know. That oh, my God. Yeah. It's really funny because you have these operators who can be really like these grizzly sort of like, you know, uh, like you said, rough around the edges. Right. And they got some they can be ornery, uh, yeah. but man, they got to be on it and they got to be very detailed oriented and organized and communicating with the state and all the different uh, oh, yeah. reports and filings. It's it's a special breed to be a wastewater plant operator. I'll tell you that. So it, it um, is. they are unsung it, heroes. They really are. And, you know, people don't understand, you know, the pressures that these guys go through too, because, you know, typically small town, they're out there by themselves and they got to make sure that, you know, the water, the wastewater gets treated and then where it's discharged and the sludge and the, this, and the, I mean, it just, it goes on and on and on. And so it's, it, it's, and, you know, and I have a small, my entire public works department, and we're talking about the guys that work on your water, your sewer, your streets, everything, right. six people six right. people. So whenever we have a, a, a water main break, it's all hands on deck. Even our mechanic, uh, who is one of these guys, he's, he's down in the ditch with them too. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's something that, like you said, they're kind of the un, you know, people, the unsung hero that people really don't see that much. And, you know, the only time they see them is like when we have a, an event, a flooding or something like yep. that. Or, 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 or a backup yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. People get pissed and, off about it and, you know, Oh yeah. So, yeah. so and it's funny to me, how there's a lot of people that don't even understand the basic physics of water and sewer. True story. My guys are out fixing a, a major water main break. Popped. I mean, it's, it looked like, you know, uh, Old Faithful. Uh, you know, it was just like uh, shooting like 30 feet in the air. And this guy pulls up <laughs> and he rolls his window down and the water's just like pounding on top of his car. You know, and he's like waving the guys like, hey. And they're like, you know, we're trying to fix this damn leak. What do you want? And he goes, is this sewage? <laughs> no, man, it's water. Go on. You're okay. I'm like, who's going to stop and put their car getting? And I said, oh. and, and they had witnesses. And they said, no, this dude really did pulled up water pouring on top of his car rolled his window down and yelled, is this sewage? And I was like, oh my God. Cause he probably was thinking, Ooh, I can finally, you know, file a tort claim and uh, you know, the city <laughs> poured sewer all over my car. I have to get a new car. So yeah, those are some of the other things that people don't realize too. They think that 
anything that happens, you know, it's, they can sue the city, right? Oh, they can sue the city. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's our, it's our responsibility for everything. And so anyway, but that's, that's kind of, like I said, that's, uh, I'm excited about that. And I got a few other projects going on and this is kind of fun. You know, I tell people all the time, if you're getting ready to retire, I'll be 57 here pretty soon. So I'm, I'm going to probably cash in at 62 and have a plan because I have so many friends and buddies that retire. I've got hundreds and hundreds of, you know, of my cohorts all over the country. And if you don't have a plan, I, you know, I know guys that are getting ready to retire and say, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, you're going you're gonna to do some consulting. I don't know. And, and, the, and then those are the guys that, you know, if you, unfortunately, I mean, you flag some of these sometimes on your, your page where they yeah. pass away because they, they don't feel useful anymore. They just, but they don't, they don't have anything to do once they retire. Yeah. And, and you know, us men, we need purpose, right? We need men exactly. are wired to have to, yeah, we're, we're wired differently. And if you don't have that purpose or that something yeah. you got to fix or yeah. build or create, we get yeah. lost. I think that, you know. I, you're exactly right, Joe. And I, and that's what, so my, my entire, uh, you know, goal once I retire is to, you know, be full time. This is kind of weird. I, I, I'm one, I'm, I'm a kind of an anomaly because when I went to school, um, I, you know, graduated, I think 22, 23 years old with an acting degree. At one point I was either going to go to LA or, or, or California, I'm sorry, uh, California or New York and try to break into show business there. Instead I married, which I don't regret at all. I married my college sweetheart. And then we started our career in the Oklahoma city area, moved to Yukon. And that's how I got involved in Yukon. We lived there for what lived there. I lived there for about 20 years. So I never really, I, I do stuff. That's why I do these you know documentaries and other things that you'd mentioned earlier is because it keeps my mind engaged on the creative side. And I think that's actually what helps when we, when you got things going on like this potential sitcom and all these other things, I think it's, it keeps that creative juices flowing where you're not just so focused on everything city related you have to so that but i tell everybody whether it's golfing fishing come up with something that you enjoy my passion is the arts that's what i'm going to be involved in so i'm going to go full tilt when i move we're probably going to either get an apartment or something down in in the la area and i plan on going full tilt i'm doing a reversed getting into show business i'm waiting till i actually retired but i have some friends that are in acting business that's awesome yeah they've been in some pretty substantial roles in movies and tv and they said you know what tim Hollywood, LA is just drowning in 20 somethings and that, that are trying to break in like you would have back, you know, in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's very few people that can come to, you know, California. And he's, and they said, the great thing is financially, you don't have to worry about it. You're not, you know, if you don't get this role, yeah, uh, you're still going to be able to pay your rent. You know, if, right. you, if you don't get this role, you're going to make still make your car payment because I'll have a pension in place and social security, hopefully if it's still there. And so I will, and you know, and, and, and so anyway, th- that's what I plan on doing is uh, getting into this uh, full time after I retire and just having a blast and not worrying about it. If I go into an audition, if, if I don't get picked, it's not the end of the world because like, there'll be another one lined up and I'm still going to be able to make rent and, you know, right. uh, eat and have a, a really, a pretty decent life as opposed to if you're 20 struggling. years old. And Instead of being struggling. that typical, yeah, stereotypical yeah. struggling, you know, starving actor. Hey, and, Tim, and, so, go okay. ahead. No, you please go ahead. You finish your thought. No, no, I, I said, so that's my, that that's my, that's my plan once I, you know, retire from this career. Awesome. So uh, I want to pivot in a moment to some of these personal projects you're working on. But before I do that, what are your thoughts on like getting other city managers who are in the profession to like 
share their stories or whatnot with you or maybe get them like, I, don't, oh. I mean, you got, you got this huge, vast pool of talent of ideas, right? I mean, sure. is there a way for city managers to maybe contribute to this whole process and engage with Ab- it? Absolutely. Once this show, hopefully if it, once it gets, they've already written pretty much the whole first season based on a lot of the stuff that I've material that I've given them and, and some other research that they've done. But I've told these guys, I said, once, if this thing gets picked up, and it starts moving forward, what I'm going to do is set up some sort of, I'll call it portal or the ability for city managers to share crazy council stories, crazy interactions with citizens, crazy interactions with employees without, you know, naming names and getting all that side of it and have that. And then they will actually get credit from, and and I've talked to the producers and I said, yeah, maybe we'll come up with some really sweet because, you know, city managers, we have to be careful on gifts and things. But maybe come up with some sort of package with T-shirts and the whole thing, like, yeah, and, and give them an actual credit, uh, you know, when, when the credits are rolling at the end of the episode of uh, writing contribution. And That'd be I, awesome. I think, I think so, too, because, man, you know, I've been doing this for, I said, getting ready to start my 23rd year. I've dealt with some things where I thought there's no way I should be dealing with this. <laughs> But, uh, but, because, but they, but it happens. I mean, you've, every city's got these unique, especially unique citizens that, you know, they, the first place I tell everybody, you think about it, if somebody's upset with government, where's the first place they go? They go to city hall, city hall, uh, city hall. Yep. If you're not the county seat, uh, you're yep. going to get a visit. And sometimes they come to, <laughs> and sometimes they come to council meetings and uh, public comment sections and, those are jewels as well. I know we've all had people come to our council meetings like, is he being serious? And yeah, and they are. They are actually yeah. being serious. And absolutely. I mean, I mean, so yeah, so I'll have something set up, hopefully, and uh, knock on wood that this thing gets uh, picked up and have a portal or something where people can start making contributions. And if they are, they'll be recognized. And I think that's kind of a cool thing. If I wasn't involved in this and I was supplying stories and then one night they used a, a situation that happened to me in my career and I got a little credit at the end of the episode, I'd be happy as you know, oh, happy be as awesome. Oh yeah. And, and, and truth is so much stranger than fiction because everyone, everyone listening to this podcast has at least one crazy story that would be oh, TV worthy. At least one, yeah. everyone does. But hey, so we'll, we'll pivot now to these other passions and interests that you have. You, you talked to me, you know, again, about uh, being a documentary filmmaker and whatnot. Uh, sure. I know you work on a project right now. Why don't you share that with the audience? And So in 2016, when I got hired as the city manager in Durant, it was in the fall of 2016, something happened that I was like, what in the world is going on? We had all these people traveling through town on riding lawnmowers <laughs> as, <laughs> as their main mode of transportation. I mean, <laughs> How big is Durant again? It's like 18,000 people. So it's not like some. So I was just like, what in the hell is going on? And I, I, there were, there was one guy, he was my favorite. He would pull his girlfriend in a wagon behind there. They would go to, (laughs) oh, it gets better. They would go to the convenience store and he would buy like a whole suitcase of beer and put it in the back with his old lady. So, uh, the old lady is the right term, by the way. Exactly. That. I, that's, that's an Oklahoma or it's a Midwest thing. So anyway, I was just, and, and to be honest with you, the three years that I was there, we experienced a huge, huge economic boom. And the three years I was there and, and I was people like, oh no, I, I added it up. We had existing stuff that was under construction and new construction over $2 billion worth of new real estate being built in that three years that I was there. A lot of it was the Choctaws 
you know, they had an explosive growth. That's where the Choctaw Nation is located in Durant. And so they made their headquarters in, in Durant and they have a, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably the largest hotel in the state of Oklahoma. Oh, they wow. 2000 two room resort right in our town. So it's huge. Anyway, I started seeing uh, all, you know, we had people flying from Spain and all over the place coming in to look at site visits because we had a really strong economic development plan there. Some incentives tied into it with the state and everything else. I, I, we would go on these site visits, Joe, and then I would see, I, I came up with a name for them because my real nickname <laughs> for them was not appropriate right now. Okay. But, <laughs> you have to tell me I, off the air. <laughs> I'll tell you off the air. But I, <laughs> I called them the B-Cats, and it was for the Bryan County Alternative Transportation Society. So that's what, <laughs> that's what I called these are strong. These are strong town members, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, 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 to be very upfront, I kind of, <clears throat> I, I despise these guys because I'm like, and I talked to my police chief, and I'm like, how in the hell are these guys able to drive? And he said, there's a loophole in the law that says if they leave the blade on the lawnmower, that's considered agricultural. And he said, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And you can drive, anybody been through Oklahoma, you live in Kansas. Ag equipment has the same right of way as, as your car. They can drive well, a tractor down the street. Well, in all seriousness, yeah, I'll stop you right there, right? Because yeah. I, I learned this when I moved to the Midwest. If you don't know, uh, in the Midwest, agriculture is king. Like you, they can basically, oh, yeah. I mean, I got, I got uh, Mennonites and Amish folks riding tractors and, and, and buggy and horses on the, yeah. on the highway. It's, yep. it's a different animal out here for sure. Ag's, ag's a is. huge deal. It is. And even here where I'm at in uh, Siskiyou County, we, you know, there's agriculture equipment everywhere. We're, we're, we have a lot of cattle out here, a lot of hay, you know, different, different stuff that we grow out here. So he's, I said, so it's not illegal. And he's like, no, it's not illegal, man. I said, like, oh God. So after I, I left the city, as I told you before, the council flipped on me in 2019. Funny thing is I, my contract was up in December of 19 and I offered to ask to not ask for a renewal in, in December and let them hire a new city manager, go through the process. Well, two weeks later, the mayor, she calls me and she says, well, me and three of the other council members were talking over the weekend. And I'm like, okay, well, there, there's a violation. Sounds like an open meeting violation. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> By the way, this is Durant, which has no history of open meeting violations as far no, as I know. No. no oh no, man. No. Oh, so, hey, yeah. hey, Tim, before we get to yeah. that, I got to tell you, 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 I do all these news searches, right, for articles. And so sure. the algo finds me, the algorithms find me. And boy, does do me and the algos and Durant get along because I get a lot of stories. <laughs> <Durant>. <laughs> they are getting ready to hire their sixth city manager in eight years. So, oh, boy. so that kind of tells you a little bit about. Uh, and it's funny because I call it Durant, but when I got down there real quickly, everybody that I talk to calls it. I mean, if you grew up there, it's you don't call Durant. it Durant, right? It's Durant. It's Durant. Over in Durant. It's more like Durant. That's how, it's, that's how everybody says it. So they could tell that I was an outsider. And by the way, this, the funny part is I spent like 30 years of my life in Oklahoma and they all called me uh, you're that California guy. And I'm like, no, I was only a city manager. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half years before I came back out here. So anyway, hey, hey, but I, hey Tim, I, yeah. sorry, but man, this conversation is awesome. So in uh, in in my little first town, I went to Sedgwick. I have a, a I had a city clerk there who'd lived there for like twenty five years, and she says, "Oh yeah, I'm an outsider here. I'll always be an outsider." And uh, people don't understand, like in small town Midwest, like you know. You're an outsider if you're not if you weren't born there. You're an outsider. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, and, and, and even in small towns like Weed, I mean, we're right next to Mount Shasta, the city of Mount Shasta. 
and they'll say, oh yeah, he's, he's not from here. He's from Mount Shasta. Mount Shasta is like six miles, six miles away. <laughs> he's not, he's not a real weed guy. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm definitely not. So, but so anyway, I, I saw the writing on the wall in Durant, long story short, I ended up doing a separation agreement about at this time, four years ago. Then I had a little bit of time on my hands because I was, I wanted to take a, a step back and take a pause. I helped my wife. We actually opened up believe it or not, we bought an old church in Durant and turned it into a really thriving art center, performing arts, artists. We had, we bought an old church, fixed it up. I think it had like 18 rooms in the basement and we rented out art studios to, you know, budding artists and everything else. In fact, we had a, quite a few mu music artists that would go down there and record. And it was, it was just a really, you know, a lot of good synergy there. And so I, I spent a lot of time, I, I, I ripped out all the carpet, the pews, put in auditorium seating. It's a really cool place. So anyway, that's what I was kind of working on. And then I decided, you know what? I've never, ever spoken to one of these B-cats. I'm going to go start finding some B-cats. Maybe it'll be material for a documentary. I don't know. So this is four years ago. So what I started doing is driving around town. And if I saw a B-cat, I would like fly around them, stop my pickup, <laughs> hop out and run and start running toward them. I'm lucky I didn't get shot because I'm no, sure most No of kidding. These, no kidding. They're all packing every, probably. I'm sure they all are. And so their eyes would get huge. And I, and I would say like, you know, can you turn your mower off? And they turn it off and I'd tell them what I'm doing. And some of them like, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to go. And then I had a handful that said they did. And so that's kind of how it started. I started interviewing and talking to some of these people and getting their stories like, how in the hell did you start using a riding lawnmower as your main mode of transportation? And nine times out of 10, it was because- <laughs> Wait, wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. <laughs> multiple, multiple DUIs. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, and uh, yeah, in one little town, it was funny. It was a little town called Bennington. It's just, it's still in Bryan County. It's about 20 miles away. Believe it or not, they have, it's only 282 people. And there's about 12 B-cats there and, 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 and that drive all over this little bitty town. And these people were characters. And I talked to the police chief there for a short stint because he, while we were filming the documentary, he pulled this over a couple of times because we were try, trying to shoot some B-roll. And he, <laughs> I, think he was, I think he was just more dying to know what was going on. Of course, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I started talking to him about it. And he's like, yeah, he goes, most of these guys, they you know drive their mowers down to the store and get their you know, get their beer or whatever. And he said, I had to tell them in no more, because these guys were like buying their beer and then drinking it on the way back to their house. You know, is that legal? He, he said, no, because it's open container. I That's guess. what I thought he, because you even get yeah. a DUI, you can get a DUI on a bike in a lot of places with having oh, yeah. an open container. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he had to crack down on drinking and driving your lawnmower. So, uh, yeah. And then he, he, he told them they were not allowed to drive after night. And some of them had a lot of that I interviewed had a lot of problems. Like, dude, you don't have any headlights. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, hey, in fact, one of my buddies back in Durant, I was talking to him one day and he was so mad and upset. I said, what's going on? He goes, one of them riding lawnmower people T-boned me today. And I said, <laughs> how? I said, how? And he goes, I had the light and they weren't paying attention and they went right through an intersection. And I said, did you get to their insurance information? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he goes, that's real funny. He, and I said, well, so anyway, and, uh, but it, just stuff like that. So, but anyway, it's, it's kind of a, a lighthearted look. So I spent the last four years of going back and forth to Oklahoma, interviewing these people. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been working on, I, I had a guy, he was an editor who came out of Montana, highly recommended, young, young kid 
but oh my God, just a, a remarkable editor. So he and I spent, I took a week off of work and he and I spent an entire week editing this film. And we got it down to 25 minutes uh, or a little bit less than 25 minutes. And I think it's going to be kind of an eye opener for some people. And, you know, I didn't want it to be a uh, Joe, a, um, a documentary, just like kind of poking fun at these people because these are real right. people. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, and, and so, so what in, I in tough situations, in tough situations, I mean, they're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They didn't, I mean, what, you know, 50 year old man goes, yeah, you know, I've always thrived to drive a, you know, a John Deere, uh, you know, as my main mode of transportation to get back and forth to my job, you know? So, right. so that's not what's going on here. A lot of these people have, you know, there's some alcohol and drug issues you could always, you know, point to, but, but they are Okies. They're just like, you know, me and you. And, and I, I just kind of, kind of got their backstory. And then I kind of tied it into some things that, you know, maybe could help enroll places like that that could actually help some of these people you know with possible public transit some other stuff so i delved into that too so i wanted to be a kind of a i mean i hired a <laughs> i hired a, an animator because some of these stories are so crazy i hired an animator to do i think it's three different clips of where they're telling some crazy stories <laughs> and 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 the animation behind it just kind of give a little bit of you know levity there that i needed so anyway but it it turned into a really uh kind of a a, a great package and and i i think it's going to be kind of eye-opening when i tell people when i got here i told people about that and they're like no way there's no way people, I said, dude, I'm dead serious. And then, uh, so that, that happens. In fact, there's a, there's a show, a television show called Reservation Dogs. It's was filmed in Oklahoma. It's on Hulu. It's a great sitcom, funny, funny, funny show. But one of the characters, I about spit my drink out because one of the characters, they call him uncle, his name's uncle Brownie. Is this a uncle, reality show or a sitcom? No, 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 no. It's a sitcom. If, okay. if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Cause it, it gives you kind of a taste of Oklahoma, like on a, a, a reservation. And so it, and it, it's cast with all uh, native uh, Americans, which is kind of cool to see that. And it was actually, I think I met this guy once at a film fest. I think his last name is Harjo and cool dude and he wrote this thing and he he got picked up by hulu and it is so funny but so relatable as an okie or anybody in the midwest but anyway there's this he's kind of a medicine man you know kind of a guy and they all call him uncle brownie and uncle brownie likes to go down to the local hardware stores and quote unquote <laughs> borrow the riding lawnmowers take them on a test drive and then he never <laughs> brings them back so <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, so I'm watching the episode one night and there's Uncle Brownie coming down the road on his riding lawnmower, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, that that made it a bee cat made it into a sitcom already. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. So, so anyway, it's it's fun. It, it's something, like I said, that I, I have a passion. This is like my third or fourth documentary. I've, I've, I've helped produce one back in 15 that ended up actually premiering at South by Southwest and had some oaky ties to it as well. And so I've got a couple buddies in the documentary film business they're they're based out of texas but they but they have oklahoma roots and so i bounce stuff off of them all the time in fact i was talking to one yesterday and he had some there's a great video a friend of mine his name is uh, bradley beasley and brad beasley did the first okie noodling uh documentary about the guys who go <laughs> you, got, you know you what explain that. Is. yeah but you gotta explain that for the audience because i don't know yeah. if everyone knows what that is so okie noodling is Brad went out and did this thing. He, he had heard about these people that noodle. And for those who don't know what noodling is, uh, in the Midwest, there's this tradition handed down from generation to generation of hand fishing. And these guys would go to lakes and creeks and rivers and stick their hands and their feet in these little holes underground 
and hope that a catfish, a giant catfish clamps down on it. And then they reach down and, you know, if they literally use their foot sometimes as bait. And then they'll reach down and grab the catfish, pull it out. And some of these things are huge. I'm talking about over a hundred pounds. And this is, I mean, this, for those who don't know, this is literally a very dangerous activity. People get killed doing this. This is, it's insanity, by the way. This is, it is, but I'll put a plug out, go watch Okie noodling because it is fast. In fact, one of the, the, the characters, one of the guys that he is, uh, as a sanitation worker in Lawton, Oklahoma, his name, and they call him red red is a character man and he he loves noodling and that's what these guys do but you're exactly right joe people get killed because if you got a 115 120 pound catfish pulling you down you're like oh yeah but i'm i and you can't get up so that's what they normally they do it in groups and sometimes they even tie onto each other like uh, ropes and stuff anyway but and then you're considered a a a sissy if you put on a you know a snorkeling (laughs) so you don't want to be caught doing that Yeah, they might know. they might use a different word than sissy too. Yeah, I don't know. I, oh, I, I, yeah, I think they do in this uh, documentary. But anyway, I, I befriended uh, Brad and, and another guy named Ben Steinbauer, and they've done some incredible. Ben did one that I, if you haven't watched it, go watch. It's called Winnebago Man, and it is freaking hilarious. Anyway, so I've bounced stuff off these guys, and they've been real helpful in my kind of part time. Again, and and I will tell you this. There is very little money in making documentary films. (laughs) It's the opposite, man. You spend a lot of money to tell your story. But I will tell you, so real quickly, the one, other people can go check this one out. It's called Brother Brother Valentine. And it's it's a rather serious one I did back in about 16, 15, 16. It's about a murder in a small town in Oklahoma. It got picked up by a distributor and it was actually on amazon and itunes and google play and stuff and so i was so for a while there i was getting these uh royalty checks and at first they were kind of cool because i was getting you know, a couple hundred bucks a month because right? people could rent my m- movie my documentary you know, for a couple of bucks and then my distributor went out of business and so kind of cut ties with all these guys and honestly i just kind of quit you know, worrying about it. And I tell my kids all the time, I said, you know, when your dad dies, you're going to get some of that brother Valentine. (laughs) (laughs) My, and my son was like, how much do you think we'll get that? I said, oh, you could probably get three or $4 a month out of this thing if you're lucky. <laughs> so anyway, but there's no money. In fact, I think. Uh, so, so you so you work just to pay for your hobbies. That way you, absolutely, you're, you're yeah. a slave to your job just so you can do your, pa- well, your, your passion, right? It is. It's my passion. I, luckily, I have a, a wife that supports it 100%. And she loves the fact that it, cause it keeps me, you know, those creative juices flowing and she loves it. And she's very supportive. In fact, when I did brother Valentine, I think I put about 25 grand into that thing. So it was an expensive documentary. And this one, I've been able to keep my cost down because I've went and bought a bunch of my own equipment. I'd say probably in the, this B cap movie, I probably got about 10 grand into it, but it's, but again, it's nothing that you're going to make any money. I know he's kind of a controversial figure now, but Louis CK about seven, eight years ago, he was giving the best short documentary Oscar. And he stopped before he read it and he goes, you know, he's looking across this crowd and he goes, some of you are going to take your Oscars home tonight. You're going to, and they're going home in the back of a limousine. He said, whoever wins this tonight, it's going home in the back of a Honda Civic. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, and then then he said, once they get to their crappy little apartment, it will be the most valuable item in the entire apartment. 
So anyway, but but he was he was tongue in cheek, but he's actually kind of right because most short documentary films, although we've got to see that I've seen a trend here lately, which kind of bothers me a little bit. Like some of these big time athletes and stuff are now funding you know movies and you know, documentaries, like, like passion projects, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. passion projects yeah. for them. But good God, you you've got you know a film like mine that's got a budget of ten thousand dollars versus like I think Shaquille O'Neal did this awesome one that was last year about a lady out of I think she grew up in Mississippi and she was one of the first like major female basketball stars back in the like the 70s and her small little school there I think in Mississippi ended up winning like two national championships and some other stuff so it's kind of a cool story but then I when they were doing the credits and it was beautifully shot and everything I was like good as a documentary filmmaker when you go to these festivals you go oh that thing cost a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then it was like produced by, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. So it was like, you know, he had the checkbook and so he could pay for the big crews and the audio and the editing where a guy like me, like right now I'm sitting in my studio here in, in weed, California, which is essentially, I have a shop that I split in half, you know, half of it is my studio, my art studio, right. uh, video production. And the other half is a little studio apartment that we built. So yeah, most documentary filmmakers are like me. They're, they're not out. They don't have the big bucks unless they get some grant or something. I kind of like it. Here's why I like it, Joe. I like documentary films because there's no rush. I can take my time and do this. This thing took me four years to put together. I've seen documentary films that's taken 10, 15 years to put right. together. Because yep. a lot of stuff happens over time as well. So anyway, but that's kind of, uh, th that, that one is going to be coming out. Hopefully start hitting the film uh, festival circuit in maybe this fall and uh start doing that and hopefully the last documentary that i did this brother valentine one it went on the film uh, this thing was it actually got into some festivals in europe and some other places too so it was kind of a cool you know and i i'm not bragging but the film won multiple best short docs and uh, that's awesome in, yeah the, the biggest one i probably won was the sacramento film and music festival so i back in 2016 when i was watching those there was one that was shot and i was like oh my god there's no way i'm gonna win because this thing was just cinematography and everything else that was tied into it you could tell they i mean this thing probably had a couple hundred grand into it right and and then at the awards banquet they announced me as the winner i was like holy crap and so anyway, it's just kind of a good feeling. You know, you don't make any money off of this thing and you have to pay. People don't realize this too. To enter. To, to enter these festivals. Yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> of them are, are not cheap. That's right. I mean, some of them are expensive. I mean, you're talking about, I say expensive, you know, anywhere from 50 to hundred bucks a festival. And if you, and you don't, and you don't get your money back. If you, if you don't make it, uh, you nope. get nothing. Yeah. You get a nice little email saying, sorry, not our cup of tea. That's basically what it is where I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm like, see, I'm not your typical city manager that, you know, came up through the ranks. I'm a guy who has an arts background. That's, you know, pretty effective communicator. And that's probably how lasted this long in the business. So, and well, believe I love me, it. I've, yeah. And there's been a couple cities that after I've left, I swore off, I will never manage another city. And, you know, and my wife always said, but you're good at it. You're good at it. And I, was like, yeah. I know I am, but, it, but it's still but it's a lot. The, I mean, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of oh, you. Oh, it, it can suck the life out of you, especially if yeah. you got a, if you're in like in, in Durant, I, I'm not going to exaggerate. I, I, I lost clumps of hair on my head uh, was coming out because of all this stress and anybody in all seriousness, man, once you get a death threat as a government official, it, you know, takes you down to your core of a lot of things. And by the way, I never, I've never owned a gun in my life. I was in the military, never owned a gun, not because I'm against, you know, people owning guns, second minute, right. I don't get, get into any of that. I think people ought to be able to own guns, but I was just never, I just didn't want to take care of one. 
and be responsible for one. But like a couple of days after that one, I had to go out and buy a gun because I had to be able to protect my family because yeah. you know, these people, some of these fringe guys that just live on the, you know, they're just on the edge. For an yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Every council meeting I have, I always have a, you know, a, a police officer there just in case we've, you know, I've been into some, you know, interesting situations. I had one council meeting where it was with this lady in, in, in Durant when she got her censure they had a guy come in and I think he, the, the police chief said this guy pulled out a big old buck knife and handed it to the police chief. He said, here, I want you to hold this. He's like, why do you want me to hold this? And he said, cause I'm afraid I might use it. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, that's where the reality of the world we're in now. So well, I, mean, at least you I don't have, want to, I mean, I got to applaud the guy for having self-awareness. I mean, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah thank you for not stabbing the city manager tonight so uh, i didn't send him a thank you but uh anyway it but it is it's a different world it's a different beast altogether and i did a whole presentation icma in portland back in 21 yeah i was really kind of worried about the subject because i felt like you know i'm, I'm like hey, joe you're sticking your neck out you know you are and i'm yeah. sticking my neck out and i yeah. stuck my neck out the presentation that i did in icma back in 21 dealt with rogue council members people that have just like they don't give a crap about the open meeting act uh you know yeah none of that stuff open records act they don't care about any of it. they just want to come in and do what they want to do and take over the town and the city manager is a necessary evil for them and so so i i, I talked about my experience in durant and earlier that day i went to another friend of mine who had a, a class in there like 10, this thing held i think i counted like 300 people because i counted the rows and i was just doing the math and he had like 10 people and I was like, oh shit. I said, I hope mine gets a little better because mine was that afternoon. <laughs> it was standing room only, man. Wow. Standing room only. And no kidding. Came, oh, but here's the thing. And I don't want to belabor this, but here's the thing. If you're listening to this and you're a city manager and you've got a council member that may be doing a, what I would say things that he shouldn't be doing or trying to intimidate you, bully you, those type of things, hang in there because I think hopefully we're going to start seeing a shift because we as city managers need to speak up. I, I, I told my, and I'll share this real quickly. I had an experience in a town where we had a very, very heated closed session, very, very heated. And one of the council members got called out on some BS that he was doing. And he was mad because he knew I was the one speaking out against what he was doing. And the mayor just reamed him out. So we're all going back, back into the council meeting. He walks up to the door, he holds the door, and as all the council members and the city attorney get through the door, he shuts the door. And it's just me and him in this room. And he spins around and he looks at me and he goes, I thought you were a man. And I was like, oh my God. The, the dude was one to go fist. He was one he to go fist the cuffs with me back there. And, and trust me, man, I wanted to punch this guy so bad. I did because he did some horrible crap to me. And I, I, but I just told him, I said, look, he, he, I know what it was. He, he coached his big thing was he was also a big volunteer and he coached little league football. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were yeah. going to say that. Yeah. And I said, I said, this intimidation may work on a 12 year old tight end on your team, but it ain't working with me. I said, get the hell out of my way. And he, yeah. he opened the door and got out of my way. So, but that kind of stuff happens behind the scenes and it may not be a physical, uh, bullying, but other stuff that happens. And so what I did is when I, I kind of stuck my neck out and I told my story about what happened in Durant and 
I saw a few jaws drop. And then I also saw, I had a lot of people come up to me and say, man, thank you for sharing that because that's going on with me right now. And I, yeah. And, this, that. and so, and when I made that presentation, I was very concerned that it might have a negative impact on my career. But then at some point though, you have to put the good of the business before your own personal stuff. And I think by people speaking out like you're doing with some of these issues with some of these communities and some of these rogue council members, dude, I had, when I left Durant, I had a guy uh, recruit me to go uh, do interim work. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll think about it. And he went and pitched me to a city down by Austin. I was like, yeah, I love Austin. I was like, yeah, I'll go down there for six months and, and have some fun and, and, and work for a city. And so he goes down and he pitches it that night. I get an email from the mayor of this town and he sends me, he goes, Hey man, we would love to have you. In fact, uh, we're, I'm going to recommend we hire you. And, uh, here's the six people I want you to fire as soon as you get here. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this stuff happens. People don't believe it, but this happens, man. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I got a hold, I got a hold of the recruiter that night, and I said, "Take me off the short list, buddy," because I have no part of that. So he did. He was so the the recruiter was so mad, but I was like, "You got a mayor that's you know going rogue, and, and yeah, you know he 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 sees it as an opportunity to finally, if he has somebody that's exert his power, right? Months, exert, yeah. exert his power, push a, an interim city manager, and honestly, as an interim. Uh, you can come in, but but I just knew ethically, and I, I was like, yeah, I want to be the guy that comes in, cleans house the first week of there, and then it become the most hated man at City Hall because yeah. I fired all these you know people that the mayor didn't like, and I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And some other people may want to go do it, but I don't. And I said, I'm not taking that that assignment. You take me off the list, and because I just didn't need that in my life, you know, especially after what I just went through in Durant. And I'm not yeah. trying to play some victim card here, man. I'm not a victim at all. But we we as city managers ha have a very limited scope of what we can do other than, and everybody's, oh, you got a contract, a golden parachute and all that other crap. Well, yeah, it sounds good. Well, you imagine this, you move 2,000 miles yep. across the country, you get a gig, and then two months later, you buy a house, and then yep. two months later, you get fired. And for no apparent reason, and you can get fired. Like, oh yeah, but you get six months severance. Well, so it doesn't, what? Yeah, it doesn't go very far when you, when you that, factor in you got to sell the house for you pay. You know, it's just yeah, it's, you, it's nonsense. And, and that story happens all the time. And, yep. and, and here's what I tell people all the time: city managers are like Texas football coaches. If everything's going great, people love you, patting you on the back. The moment one thing goes wrong or a couple things go wrong, then boom, you're out the door. And, yep. and that's kind of what happens. A lot of these communities won't allow the city manager to grow professionally and grow within the organization. They don't give them enough time. So true. So anyway, so I, that's kind of a, uh, like I said, I was really shocked that when that presentation happened, how many people, but it, it just goes to show what we go through and what we deal with. And again, we're not being victims, but it's just simply a, a part of this, what we this do. It's the reality, right? It's the reality. It is the reality. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Hey Tim, we're getting a little long here. So I'm going to start wrapping okay. this up, but I will say, yeah. you know, a, a big, the big thing that you mentioned a second ago about, you know, the risk that you're taking that I'm taking. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm putting my neck out there and there's a, there's a lot of potential harm that's going to come to me professionally as a result of doing this. It's been my experience that by putting my voice out there, I'm seeing more people comment. I'm seeing more people be more vocal about their dissatisfaction or frustrations with some of the things that I'm talking about, you know, and I don't want to get those issues now, but it's like, it, it takes, it takes a person to be out in front. Who's going to say these things like you, like me, for other people to start opening up. And I think that's what we're seeing here. So yeah, I, I've been really excited about that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where all this goes when it comes to uh, your projects that you're working on. Uh, do you have a trailer for B cats or uh, can you give me some yeah. links to some stuff and I'll put them in the show yeah. notes or anything like that? Well, do you have like a website for it or anything? Not yet. Okay. I, I wanted to make sure we got the editing and everything else. We literally just finished. In fact, my editor was over last night because, 
because I found a couple of little things that I wanted to tweak. And so, and as a filmmaker, you will find out real quickly. If you ever do one, there will always be things. Every time you watch it, there's stuff you want to change. But no, I don't have anything. There will be a Facebook page. And if you just look up uh, Bryan County Alternative Transportation Society, probably within the next couple of weeks, I'll have the Facebook page built for that. And then we'll start, like I say, sending them out to festivals. And hopefully it'll be shown in a town near you if it makes it. Plan on doing multiple in the probably Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas area, because I think this is kind of unique to the, the whole yeah. Midwest feel to it. So yes, I'm going to plan on being in quite a few festivals there and probably some here on the West Coast as well. Awesome. Well, we'll get all that stuff in the show notes. I know I can speak for everyone listening to this podcast. We're hoping that the City of Weed sitcom is a smashing success and gets picked up for full development because that would be awesome. And please, for the love of God, for whoever's putting the show together, the producers, directors, you need to get Tim in there as Bill Jerkowski. I'll tell you that. We need we need that jerk character in the, in the sitcom, right? So. Yeah, I, I've got 20 years of pent-up frustration I want to unleash. Yeah. We need a jerk. We need a Jerkowski in our life, okay? We, we, so. we do. We certainly do. So, Tim Rundle, I've, it's been a blast. I've really enjoyed having you on this podcast. And, man, I'm really excited about what's going on out there with you in this project. Please keep us uh, updated and would love to have you on, the, on, on at a later date to update the audience. And also, we need to maybe get into uh, a deeper conversation about Durant and some of the uh, you know, oh, yeah. dysfunctional government that exists. You know, uh, John Dean, who you know and I know, yeah. he used to be city manager in Durant. He has some stories, uh, some, tra- some, some trauma he might want to purge himself of. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. We should probably maybe get together and do a little a deeper dive into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is. And, and like I said, yeah, John's a good guy. And, and, and unfortunately he came in right after me and entered uh, some chaos himself, but yeah, I would love to do that. And Joe, I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate what you're doing with your podcast. Uh, they're very entertaining, informative and need to be said. Thank you, bud. Hey, I really appreciate you uh, very much. Give me your time. That's Tim Rundle. I'm Joe Turner, host of City Manager Unfiltered, the podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. Hit that subscribe button and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Until next time, thank you.